the church. More than brick, more than mortar, living stones being fit together, the people of God living in unity on mission with Jesus to impact our world with the hope of the gospel. You see, it's more than a building. It's you, it's me. Be the church. Well, good to see everybody who is here in the room with me, everybody who is watching online. We welcome you, and we're kicking off a brand new sermon series called Be the Church, and being the church is in some ways more important than going to church, but going to church is a part of being the church, and we are, first and foremost, as a church, a community of worshipers. That's who we are. Worship is not just something we do. We are worshipers. Jesus told the woman at the well that the Father is seeking true worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. He didn't say the Father's looking for worship. He said the Father is looking for worshipers, and we are that community of worshipers. And when we function as a community of worshipers, we have the blessing and favor of God moving in our midst. Amen? Amen. And that's what we want to talk about using an Old Testament passage, Psalm 133. And it starts out by telling what kind of psalm it is. It is a song of ascents of David. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life evermore. So he says in this very well-known psalm how good and pleasant it is when we live together as God's people in unity. How do we live together? How do we dwell together in unity? Do we go back to the 1960s and we form a religious commune? Some of you who have gray hair like mine, you might remember those days. You might not have belonged to one, but you heard about them, right? Or how about this? We modernize it a little bit. We bring it to the suburbs and we all move into the same neighborhood or township. We go to the same supermarket, we all go to the same coffee shop. That's living together in unity, right? Well, the context is important. Usually when I read a psalm and it has that little label at the beginning, I kind of just skip past that. But it's very important to know that this psalm, Psalm 133, is a song of ascent. It's about, it's about ascending. Why would it be about ascending? It's because Jerusalem was on Mount Zion and in order for people to go to the temple in Jerusalem to worship, they had to go up the hill. They had to go up the mountain. And so they actually ascended when they did a pilgrimage, when they went to Jerusalem, one of those times of uh, those biblical feasts and festivals, they had to go up. And this is a psalm associated with going up to Jerusalem. It is a song of worship on the way to worship together in unity. That's what this is about. It's not just about dwelling in the same neighborhood or living in the same house. It is about worship. 
And, and, and the relationship of dwelling with worship is something that is pretty common for David. In Psalm 27, verse 4, I, I love this, one of my favorite psalms, but David says, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. So for David, dwelling in the house of the Lord, dwelling with one another as the people of God, as the community of God, was a matter of worship. So we are dwelling together in the biblical sense when we are worshiping together. We are that community of worshipers. And, and you know, and sometimes I've read Psalm 27, this one thing I seek, this one thing I desire, I want to dwell with the Lord. And we can just see David in his individuality, hungering and thirsting for God. But Psalm 133 makes it clear that in David's mind, being in the house of God, dwelling together, was not just an individual pursuit. It is something that belonged to the people of God. It belonged to the family of God. And in fact, verse 1 of Psalm 133, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live in unity. The uh, older translations would say when brothers dwell together in unity. And, you know, it does mean God's people, God's family. So I'm not saying it's a bad translation, but when it says brothers living together in unity, in the Hebrew mind, it brought up a very common family practice. And that is, uh, in spite of the Genesis 2.24, leave your father and mother and cleave to your spouse, uh, the practice of many, if not most, Jewish families back in that day was that they would have multiple generations in the same household. You know, and it was very common that brothers would live in their father's household even after they got married. And there's, there's something of family unity in David's mind. So it's about worship, and it is about family unity. Unity in worship. And for the Hebrews, for the people in David's time, the most visible unity of the people of God was when they gathered together in Jerusalem at the temple to worship God, the one place where God had said he would cause his presence to dwell. For us, what would it be? I know, sometimes we think about unity events and ecumenical events, but can I just say that the most visible expression of unity in the body of Christ today is when local churches gather together to worship. Sunday after Sunday, or in our case, we have Thursday after Thursday, along with Sunday after Sunday, and some would worship on other days. But that gathering, and it doesn't matter whether it's a house church with a handful of people or a mega church with tens of thousands of people, that is the most visible expression of our unity as the family of God. How good and pleasant it is when we get together in unity, when we really come together to worship God. And David says, it is good and pleasant. It is good and pleasant. It is something to feel good about. Is, is it okay to bring your emotions a little bit into worship? I would say it is because it's a good and pleasant thing. 
That's why in Psalm 122, verse 1, David says, I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I don't know who you came here with or who you're watching with online, but hopefully there's a little bit of a sense of rejoicing when you decided you were going to participate in worship. It is a cause for rejoicing. It feels good. It's good and pleasant to come together with the family of God to worship. No, it's not about us. It's not about how good we feel or how pleasant we feel, but it is something that we do get to experience. And notice that it's not about the style of music or the length of the service, the feelings we get, any of the things that we think about when we say, oh, we enjoyed worship or we enjoyed church or we enjoyed the online presentation or ministry. It's not about what we enjoy, but we do enjoy it. I admit, sometimes we're in the, the modern era church, we're a little bit guilty of maybe singing songs that go along uh, like this. God, I just love the way I feel when I'm telling you about how I feel when I'm worshiping you. You know? Kind of makes your heart pound a little bit. We don't sing songs like that ever, but you know, we, we can so easily make it about our feelings. But it's really about coming together as worshipers of God, worshipers who just love God, and we do so together as the family of God. There's something good and pleasant about that kind of unity in worship that goes beyond style or any of those other things, what we enjoy, musical preferences. When I was working on my doctor of ministry degree, they took us to various churches around the nation. It was a great program. And one of the churches we visited was a Lutheran church in Arizona. Now, what would a Pentecostal pastor have to learn from a Lutheran church? I know you're thinking that, you know, but this was a dynamic church. It had, an experience, it had experienced an explosion of growth after the pastor had had a supernatural healing of a heart condition. And he got on fire for the Lord, and this traditional Lutheran church just exploded with young people and worship and healings and, you know, all kinds of stuff. And it grew so much that they had to move into a very non-traditional building, you know, like an industrial center kind of building. But, you know, they, they were experiencing something dynamic. And it was very contemporary in style. In fact, the service I attended started, started with a wailing guitar solo, a rock guitar solo. I mean, that's how they, they're, they're called to worship at this Lutheran church. And, and after the service, I'm out in the lobby, and I, I see this uh, gray-headed guy at this information. Nothing against gray-headed guys, by the way. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so this gray-headed guy, you know, standing at you know, an information area after the service in the lobby. And I went up to him and I said, you know, this doesn't seem like it would be the style of worship that you would prefer. It doesn't seem like your style. And he said, oh, no, it's not my style. But with a big smile, he said, but I just love seeing what God is doing in this church. That's what matters. That's what matters. When we get unified around what God is doing it's not about style or preferences or anything like that. See, this, this anointing that David is talking about is related to 
our being together in unity. And this is, this is something that God is doing. And, and, you know, if you're a part of Victory Church every Thursday night and every Sunday, we get a little taste of the kind of unified worship that we see in the book of Revelation where it talks about people from every nation and tribe and tongue and race across all generations. We get to see a little foretaste of that heavenly worship every time we at Victory Church gather. And if you're watching online, I encourage you, if you have the opportunity to be with us in person, come. Because, you know, while we, we try to do our best to present something online that's going to bless and benefit you who are watching, it's just nothing like gathering together as the people of God. And if you can't gather together, maybe you're watching online because of a health issue or something of that nature, you're with us in spirit. You're with us in spirit, and God is going to bless you for it. But if you can get here, if you can get here, you're going to be blessed because you're going to get a little foretaste of heaven. And it's God's doing. The, the unity that we experience at Victory Church across all those lines, all those generations, all those different barriers, in some cases they, they might be barriers, socially speaking, but it's God. In, in 2 Chronicles chapter 30, Israel's at this point where they have neglected coming together to worship for a long time. They haven't been following the biblical mandates to come together to celebrate Passover. They, they just ignored getting together in worship because they're ignoring God. They're not just ignoring getting together, they're ignoring God. And Hezekiah, the king, decides it's time to restore worship of God in the way God has prescribed. And we're going to celebrate a Passover. And, you know, at that point, the kingdom had been divided. It was no longer one kingdom. You had a northern kingdom, and then you had the southern kingdom. And Hezekiah was the king of the southern kingdom with his three tribes. And he issued an edict, a command, an invitation, really, to all of Israel, northern kingdom and southern kingdom. And it says that for the most part, his invitation was received with scorn and ridicule. They scorned and ridiculed him. But because he sent out the invitation, there were people who showed up. And here's what Scripture says about that gathering in 2 Chronicles chapter 30, verse 12. Also in Judah, the hand of God was on the people to give them unity of mind to carry out what the king and his officials had ordered following the word of the Lord. How did they come together? It was the hand of God. It's the hand of God. That's why we can expect the blessings of God when we join together and worship in unity as the people of God because it's not just our deciding to go to church this morning. It is God moving in our hearts to come together in unity. God is producing that. It's the same kind of unity that we see in Psalm 133. And we say this when we welcome first-time guests to our services. A lot of times we might say something like, you're not here by accident. God brought you here for a purpose. And I would say the same thing right now. You're not watching by accident. You're not here in this room by accident. God brought you here for a purpose. And it's not true just of first-time guests. You might be here for the thousandth 
time. It might be worked into your lifestyle. It might be a habit that you always are diligent to maintain. But can I tell you that behind that habit, behind that lifestyle, behind your presence here right now is the hand of God. Amen? It's the hand of, oh, it's just church. It's just victory, church. Folks, it is the hand of God that has brought us together to worship him. I was on vacation, and, uh, you know, one of my favorite, I consider him my pastor because, you know, when I go to this location, he's my pastor. He lets me preach in this church, even on vacation. Yes, sometimes I preach on vacation. My family can attest to that, and I love it. I do. But last time that I was in his church and he was welcoming people, he said this. He said, when you decided to come to church today, you made one of the best decisions of your life. I, I never thought of church that way. You know, I, I, I think, well, when you decided to receive Jesus Christ into your heart, you made the best decision of your life. That's truly the best decision. But to say, when you decided to come to church, when you decided to come to this service, when you decided to watch this message, you made one of the best decisions of your life. You know, it's, it's just so easy to, to downplay what it means to come together as the family of God. It's just church, right? We can diminish the importance of, of coming together by, by saying things like, well, you know, just because you park it in the garage doesn't make it a car. You still park your car in the garage, though, right? I mean, nobody's going to take that argument and say, well, I, I guess, you know, when three feet of snow are threatening, I, I got to leave my car out in the, the driveway because, you know, just parking in, in the garage doesn't do anything. Coming to church as a Christian does something, folks. It doesn't make you a Christian, but it is something that Christians do that God uses in some powerful ways. And I know it's easy to put down because, you know, you, you, you can probably get a whole lot better preaching somewhere online or on TV. I, I know that's the case, and I'm not saying that fishing for compliments, although, you know, a few pats on the back after the service would be all right. But, <laughs> but you know, we, we pastors, preachers in this era know that you can find excellent preaching on TV. You can hear it on the radio. It's, it's there. It's available, like, in no time in history. It, and I think it's wonderful. And, you know, we, we, can, we can begin to think things like, uh, you know, and my pastor not only just preaches mediocre sermons, but, you know, I, I don't even remember what he preached the next day. Anybody guilty of that? Can I make a confession? Sometimes I'm guilty of that. I'm moving on to the next sermon. Like, what did I preach yesterday? I can't remember now. I'm moving on. Is that okay to admit? But here's the thing. What, what really matters is not necessarily that you remember the sermon. Any more than what really matters is that you had a healthy meal last Tuesday. You don't remember the meal necessarily. You don't remember all the meals that you eat, but consistency with eating good, nutritious food is important for your physical health. 
Yeah, and if you follow Vinny, you'll be eating vegan food. <laughs> That's good, right? Do you remember, is it important that you remember every meal? No, but it's important that you have a lifestyle that is healthy. And I can tell you, when you come together as the family of God, and you give God a chance to work, you might not necessarily see a miracle every time that you gather, but you are in the place where you are gaining spiritual health. And you can see the hand of God moving in your life like you cannot see or experience when you neglect him. When you neglect this kind of worship, worship that God blesses. And he blesses us when we come together in unity to worship him. He, he blesses in this service right now. There is blessing flowing. There is blessing flowing. And David said it's like oil, fragrant oil poured on Aaron's head. It, it goes over his head and then down his beard and down his collar. And then it's like the dew that, you know, like falls down. It's like dew from Mount Hermon, but it's falling on Zion, the place where we gather to worship. That fragrant oil was a sign of Aaron's consecration as a priest of God. And, you know, not everybody in biblical times, in Old Testament times, was eligible to be anointed. Did you know that? Only Aaron and the priests were anointed as priests. Only kings were anointed as kings, and nobody else was authorized to receive that anointing. Yet when Israel gathers together to worship, all the tribes together, priests, people alike, it's as though the whole nation has God's anointing poured out on it. And you know that's even more true of us in the New Testament, where we follow the anointed one who is Jesus, and Jesus has made us to be a kingdom and priests. There's anointing. We want the anointing of God on our lives. And we don't talk about that a whole lot sometimes. But we want the anointing. You want the anointing of God. You want what sets you apart and empowers you and consecrates you for the purposes of God. That's the anointing. Jesus is the anointed one. You know, what do you think Christ means? You know, you think about somebody being Christian, that's anointed. Jesus is the anointed one. One, we, uh, I attended Oral Roberts University Seminary, and we had an actual academic class with academic requirements and standards on signs and wonders. And we got to hear from great ministers who had signs and wonders operating in their lives and ministry. And one evening, we had T.L. Osborne come and speak to us. Has anybody here heard of T.L. Osborne? Just maybe one or two. He, he was not very well known. He's gone to be with the Lord since then. But he was not very well known in the United States. Yet when he preached overseas in India, Africa, other parts, he usually had crowds of tens of thousands of people. And he preached to literally millions of people over the life of his ministry with tremendous signs and wonders, tremendous miracles. And I'll never forget, he said, here is the key. 
the serving and the power of God. He said, you have to know that you are anointed. And he just kept saying that. You have to know that you are anointed. You have to know that you are anointed. Even Jesus, how did he start his ministry? He said, the Spirit of God has anointed me to preach good news. I'm anointed to do this. I'm anointed for this. When I I think about I'm anointed for this, I I can't help but think of, I know this doesn't sound very spiritual, but Evander Holyfield, you know, former heavyweight champion of the world in boxing. Anybody remember Evander Holyfield? Gosh, you guys are very unspiritual. You know Evander Holyfield, but you don't know T.L. Osborne. (laughs) I'm just kidding. But, you know, I remember, remember hearing him say, I'm anointed for this. See, he, he was heavyweight champion of the world. He lost. He actually held that title at least three times. <laughs> and, and at one point, I think this was 1994, he had to quit boxing because of a congenital heart defect. And then God healed him. And he fought Mike Tyson. You know Mike Tyson too, right? Remember Mike Tyson bit somebody's ear off? Remember whose ear he bit off? Evander Holyfield's. But Evander beat him and won back the heavyweight title. After having been healed of a congenital heart defect that had caused the sports physicians to say, you can't box anymore. God healed him. And, and I, I read this as I was preparing this message, that he told people before the bout that he was anointed to box, that he was anointed for that task. What I do remember is watching the, the sports cast and his being interviewed after beating Mike Tyson, and he was so excited, and he just kept saying, I'm anointed for this. I'm anointed for this. Hey, if he can be anointed to beat the devil out of somebody, you can be anointed for what God's called you to. Do I, I don't have time for this. Can, can, I, can I just tell you a little brush with fame story? I, I went to this major evangelistic event at uh, an arena in Philadelphia, and I had registered as a pastor beforehand, so I got to sit on the stage. And right in front of me, right, I mean, I'm in a chair right here, right in front of me was Evander Holyfield. And this was after his diagnosis and his retirement for boxing. And I knew about it. I followed sports enough to know, man, that's Evander Holyfield. And he can't box anymore. And during the service, man, I, I, I have my Bible there. I'm a good pastor. I carry my Bible with me. I, you know, I wasn't a wimp like we all are today and carry it on our phones. I had my Bible with me. I'm just teasing. I had my Bible. And while I'm sitting there behind him and, and thinking about, you know, this guy has a heart problem. And that's caused him to stop boxing. And what came to mind was that passage in Isaiah where, you know, God says that they're going to renew their strength. 
and mount up with wings as eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. And I might have that out of line just a little bit, but I thought of that and I found it in Isaiah. And I, I, I worked up the courage and I tapped on those shoulders that were like this wide and this very nice, perfect, perfectly fitting suit, you know, that was pinstripe. And, you know, if you read the pinstripes, it was the champ, the champ, the champ, you know. So this was a nice suit. And I pointed out that verse. And he took my Bible out of my hands and he stood up and just lifted the Bible after reading that and just started praising the Lord. And within a few minutes, the evangelist called him to the front of the stage, prayed for him, and he was healed. That's, that's when that happened. And I read in the Los Angeles Times that that particular evangelist healed him, but I should let them know it was me. I was, <laughs> I was the one who gave him the word of God. No. That was worth telling, wasn't it? Yeah. I don't claim any power to heal him or that I'm the one that healed him, but I, I do believe that he had that scripture in his heart and his hand, you know, when he was called forward to receive healing. And that healing has been verified twice by the Mayo Clinic. That's why he was able to come back and, and regain the heavyweight boxing title. Amazing story. Well, King David, you know, relates anointing with what? Gathering as the family of God. you got to be anointed. You, you need to know that you are anointed. You need to, how do you know and grow in that anointing? I believe there are many ways, but I think one of the ways that is so easy neglected and might be a reason why the church is losing ground in America is that we don't think there's any anointing from gathering together as a family of God. Wait, over the last 20 years, the average evangelical has gone from attending church two, three, four times a month to once a month. We're not gathering in a way that we experience and refresh the anointing and we just dismiss it. Oh, it's just church, just us. It's just, you know. No, how good and pleasant it is when we dwell together, when we worship together in unity. It is like the anointing that Aaron experienced. It is like dew that falls on Hermon. That really brings life. It brings life. The dew brings life. You know, think about Mount Hermon. It's surrounded by arid territory. Those of you who went on our Israel trip right before COVID, you might remember going to the base of Mount Hermon. We didn't go up, but we went to Caesarea Philippi, which is, and it's dry. There's a creek through there that comes up out of the ground, you know, but it's a dry area. But Mount Hermon at the top, during the winter it was snow, and then during other times of year, be a heavy dew. Maybe not a lot of rain, but a dew that provided life. And David says, it's like the Mount Hermon dew is falling on Zion. Different mountain, but it's falling on Zion. See, this, this, is, this 
place, Zion, what is it? It's the place where God said he would cause his name to dwell. It's the place associated with the presence of God. And God's presence is available to us in a unique way. Yet God's everywhere. But God's presence is available to us in a unique way when we gather together in his name. When we gather together in worship, God's promise to show up. That's what Zion's about. You know, man, you want to be where God has said he's pouring out his blessing. You want to be there. You know, I went to the Asbury Revival back in February, and I heard so many people, especially online, oh, you don't have to go to Asbury to experience revival. You don't have to do that. And do you have to go to Asbury? No, a lot of people couldn't go to Asbury. I was able to get free and go. And Anna went and Jonah went, and it was awesome and powerful. But so many times you just hear people say, oh, you don't have to do that. And no, you don't have to. And, and yet, here, here's my perspective on a lot of that kind of protest. You don't have to go here. You don't have to go there. It's not just you don't have to go because you're so tight with Jesus. And he just pours out his blessing on you all by yourself. No, it's, you're just prideful. You, you say those kinds of things because you're so full of pride. Most people who couldn't go would just say, oh, I would have loved to have gone, but I couldn't go. I would have loved to have been there, but I, I, I couldn't afford to go. I mean, whatever. But, but, you know, a little bit of pride, like, oh, you don't have to go here. You don't have to go. And, and it's the same mindset that says, you don't have to go to church. You don't have to go there. But you don't have to be blessed either. You don't have to have the dew of Hermon fall upon you because it's in our unity together where God has commanded a blessing. Verse 3 of our psalm, Psalm 133, it is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion for there the Lord bestows his blessing. I, I like the, uh, the King James Version, he commands a blessing. He commands a blessing, even life forevermore. Man, you know, can I just say, church is a good place to come and get life evermore. Yeah. It's a good place to get saved. Yeah. We have so many people coming to the Lord at Victory Church this year. It amounts to more than one decision for Christ a day. I think that's awesome. I've never pastored the church when we've had that kind of evangelistic harvest, even in the summer. And, and folks... I want to encourage you that expect as we come together and give expression to who we are as a community, the family of God, that more of that life forevermore and that blessing is going to come and we're going to grow in our anointing and you're going to walk into your workplace and you're going to say on a Monday morning, I don't necessarily want to be here, but I'm anointed for this. I'm anointed for this. Amen? You are anointed for the life to which God has called you. And when we come together as the family of God in worship, dwelling together, dwelling in the house of the Lord together, gazing on the beauty of the Lord together, we grow in our awareness of how anointed we are and how much blessing God is pouring out and how much life is flowing. It might feel kind of deserty. It might feel arid. We might feel dry from time to time. But when we get together in the unity of the Spirit, it is is 
a place where God blesses and pours out life. Oh, man, I, I just love it. You know, you know, God doesn't say, I pour out blessing when you have this particular style of music. He, he doesn't say, I pour out blessing. And it's like the anointing when you go this many minutes. He says, when you come together in unity. That's it. Do I like more minutes of worship? Absolutely. But not everybody's ready for 45 minutes of worship. But we can come together and worship. Worship God. How many minutes of worship does God need to be true to his promise in this passage? Hmm? One. Absolutely right. <laughs> Some of you, just the, just the fact that you walk in the doors or you turn on the video or you click on the link, God's going to come. And I do believe that this is a good place, and I believe right now is a good time that if you haven't received life forevermore, eternal life, that you could do so right now. Right now. And we're going to have the Lord's Supper. We're going to celebrate communion, which is about being together in unity around the presence of God. And I want you to be ready for that by receiving Christ first. So if you're in this room or if you're watching and you haven't received Christ, pray this prayer right now. Just repeat these words after me. Let's all pray it together to encourage those who are praying this for the first time. Say these words. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love. I believe Jesus died. He was raised from the dead. And he is Lord. Forgive me of all my sins. Be the Lord of my life. Fill me with your spirit. And help me live for you. Thank you for receiving me into your family forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give praise to the Lord for the decisions that have been made here, online. Awesome. Now, in communion, Paul gives us some instructions in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And before we do so, if you're watching online, you can maybe push pause and get some elements. We use wafers and grape juice. And if you're in the room with me, just raise your hand and we can make sure that you have the elements. But Paul, in the chapters that, that deal with communion, is dealing with problems in the Corinthian church because they were so disunified. And they were so disunified, he said, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. So you can go through a religious ritual and still miss out on the true significance because it's a matter of the heart. But it's not just that, oh, they were guilty of sin, and, you know, they, they hadn't properly judged themselves with regard to some sin in their lives. No, their sin is specified by the Apostle Paul. Their sin was not recognizing one another within the body of Christ. And he said that. Everyone 
ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. Who's the body of Christ? I mean, if you read the chapters all around this, he repeatedly refers to the church as the body of Christ. You know, the elements represent the body of Christ, but he's talking about the church as the body of Christ and the way we treat each other, the way we fail to see our unity, the way, the, the way we fail to come together in unity. Paul says, brings judgment. And then in verse 30 of 1 Corinthians 11, he says, that is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. Many of you are weak and sick. Many have become weak and sick and have died. Why? Because they weren't availing themselves of the blessing and the anointing and the power that comes when brothers and sisters worship the Lord in community. There's power in this. There is blessing in this. So we're going to receive the Lord's Supper. If you've just prayed to receive Christ, this in some ways is your first communion. And we're receiving Christ. We're receiving his presence into our lives, but we're doing so as the family of God. In fact, in the chapter before the one I just read from, Paul says this, because there's one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the same loaf. And then he said, the bread that we break is a sharing in the body of Christ. So let's eat together. And in that same section, Paul puts it in a question form. But he says, is not the cup of blessing for which we give thanks a sharing in the blood of Jesus? Let's drink together. Let's receive his blessing and his power. Lord God, we thank you for your power right now. Thank you for healing. For those who are watching online who need a healing touch, thank you that there's healing in the power that's flowing through your body, the church, right now, whether we're gathered electronically or whether we're gathered in person. Thank you for your healing power, oh God. Thank you for doing miracles in Jesus' mighty name. And Lord, for those who feel dry, for those who feel spiritually powerless, Lord, we pray that there would be an increase of anointing and, Lord, of those waters that just are like the dew of Mount Hermon falling on Zion as we're gathered around the presence of God. Thank you for your presence. And, Lord, we thank you that your presence is not just in a physical temple, but through Jesus Christ, your presence goes with us. And we, as individuals, get to be your temple and as Peter says, we as individuals are being built together as a temple for your presence. We thank you, Lord, how good and pleasant it is for us to dwell together in this kind of worshipful unity. And we give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. How about a big amen and a shout and a clap for the Lord? Amen. Amen.